A big uh, thank you to Ryan for bringing us uh, that reading from Psalm 22 and also from Matthew 4. And also just again to Matt and to John for leading us so well. Our worship leaders over this season have really been blessing us each week um, in song, leading us in some simple worship songs that uh, just help focus our hearts and minds. So we just want to give a, a real big thanks out to them for uh, helping us this morning. Uh, we're uh, in the season of Lent, uh, and the church celebrates this season or marks the season, obviously, every year as a 40-day journey that leads right up to Easter. Um, and uh, that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, we are uh, moving towards Easter, these 40 days of reflection that um, land us right at the, the heart of our faith, right at the, the Passion Week of Christ, his death and his resurrection, and the good news that God is remaking this world through Christ um, around this axis of love. God is remaking this world and, and how it works um, and a new dawn has come. And so we're, we're journeying this Lent season, like uh, as we've been saying, it's intersecting with our lives in such a unique way this year. I hope, trust, a meaningful way. And, uh, you know, Lent, as we've spoken last week, is about often giving up something, abstinence, but I love that encouragement from Justin Welby that says that Lent is about drawing closer to Christ and allowing him to share in our sufferings. And that's what we are doing. We're, we're drawing close to Christ. Whether we've given up something for Lent or whether we've taken up something this year, we, the whole aim of this season is to draw close to Christ and invite him into uh, the struggles that we have as we as we, uh, as we contemplate uh, moving towards Easter. Um, I'm sensing, and I hope you are too, that this is an opportunity, this Lenten season, for some healing and for some hope. Um, it is an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus, to center on him, and indeed to commune with him in the midst of uh, our struggles and fears, in the midst of whatever life looks like for you or for me right now. Um, life is so different at the moment as we still figure out how we come out of this pandemic season. It's been a long time since we've been together and, and many of us are, are, are tired, many of us are weary, many of us are struggling with fears and uncertainties and, and this is a time, I believe, when we can draw close to Christ and find that he brings his peace. Invite him to meet us right where we are. Um, so if, if that is the only thing we take away from uh, today and this morning being on, online together is that Christ meets us exactly where we are. He meets you exactly where you are. Um, and so I trust that Lent season for us is one of healing and hope and that it allows uh, a spring, a springing forth of God's life in us indeed, that, that uh, we would allow the Spirit of God to carve open space within us, to be able to grieve, to be able to reflect, to be able to repent, to be able to refocus on Christ and indeed experience as a result of that, the springing forth of resurrection, life, freedom, healing, all of that that God has come to bring to us through Christ. Um, we uh, last week began a new series, Encounters with Jesus. Um, we're beginning it with this three-week look at uh, this one event, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Um, it's a defining moment in Jesus' life, and in the origin story of the man Jesus, the man from Nazareth, if there was a movie made, this would uh, of the origin story of Jesus of Nazareth. This this scene uh, of Christ in the wilderness 
of Jesus in the wilderness would feature strongly as we grapple with who this Jesus is. Um, Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, as we know, and he received that affirmation from God the Father um, that this Jesus is my son whom I love and am well pleased. That is what the Father God declared over Jesus. And as a result of that, Jesus is then led right out into the Judean wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting. And this is the def- one of the defining moments of, of Jesus' life. He's in this wilderness for 40 days and nights, fa- pushing himself to the limit, fasting. And all of this is as preparation uh, for launching his, his mission in the world, his work in the world. He's been in the backwater of, of Nazareth, but now, now is the time uh, to launch uh, this ministry of preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Um, the Hebrew prophets had spoken all about this, uh, this rule and this reign of God that would come to earth as it is in heaven, that this alternative government of God would, would be ushered in, that, that all that is broken would be mended and made whole again, that all that is fractured would be restored, that there would be peace on earth, and that this is indeed the mission that, God, that, that Jesus has come, had come and has come to inaugurate and to begin. And so before he does that, he's led into the wilderness for this time of preparation. This is a checkpoint in Jesus' journey. So to speak, he, he has to be scrutinized in a sense before he passes through. Um, Jesus is praying, he's fasting, he's meditating. You can imagine him wrestling with what this means to begin to launch this kingdom project, to begin to preach the good news. He's, he's wrestling with that and, and himself and this mission and how he might begin to bring this ministry to bear. How might that come? How might it look? How will he bring this alternative government of God to earth? How will that look? Um, and we, 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 dis- we discussed that last week, there are three temptations and three uh, uh, there's three great temptations in this passage brought by the tempter, by the devil, to Jesus. Three things, bread, circus, and empire. And last week we looked at the first of those temptations, bread. And uh, essentially, uh, the, the devil, uh, the tempter, was, was saying to Jesus, you're hungry, Jesus, so turn these stones to bread. And Jesus knew that this was a temptation come to him to, to bring the kingdom of God through meeting material needs and desires by, by just creating a miracle of bringing bread and meeting desires, his own desires and the desires of others, um, instead of indeed trusting the word of God to nourish his soul. And Jesus knew this and, um, and he uh, overcame this first temptation to trust uh, the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, the story of God for for all that we need for our physical and spiritual needs. This is what Jesus shows us is important to nourish our souls and satisfy our spiritual hungers on the, on the words of God to fill us up. And so today we're looking at part two of this three-week little mini uh, beginning to our new series. And uh, part two is circus. Part two, the temptation to is circus. What does circus mean? Um, well, let's dive into it very quickly. We've heard from uh, Ryan reading the gospel passage and we've read the three temptations. The second temptation, uh, what happens here 
um, is, is a temptation to Jesus again by the devil, by the tempter, and how this kingdom mission is going to look. But this time, the devil leads Jesus, I guess, leads him in his mind, in a vision before him, to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, in front of all the crowds. And Jesus imagines himself up there on this high point on the temple, and he's tempted to throw himself, to throw himself off, like someone maybe trying to take their life in a sense, but like a kind of miracle man stunt. And indeed that the angels would, would leap to his help and save him. And this would be a great spectacle. And all of the crowd and the people would know that this is indeed the Son of God. And the temptation come to Jesus is to do this, to prove that he is this Messiah, to do something great to create a spectacle. Not only is this a good idea, but the, the devil, the tempter, having heard Jesus' trust in the word of God, in this temptation number two, immediately uses scripture to back up this temptation number two. Uh, the devil quotes nine, Psalm 91, which says that God would, would command the angels to, uh, concerning you to lift you up in, in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So this temptation comes to create a spectacle, to create a miracle moment. And indeed, God would not fail Jesus, but the angels would save him from, 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 from death and that there would be an amazement in the crowd. This is, the, this is a good idea and it's backed up by scripture and it's presented to Jesus in front of him as a, as a vision in his mind of how he could bring the kingdom of God and prove God. Uh, to the crowds. Surely people would worship and bow down to Christ if they saw uh, a stunt, a spectacle, a circus moment like this. And immediately Jesus sees the subtlety of this temptation and replies, it's it is also written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. These, Jesus is quoting from the book of, Jer of Deuteronomy. And it's a side note, it's really interesting that we, all, we love Jesus, but we, um, um, no matter who you speak to, um, I think uh, so many people are drawn to Jesus and love Jesus. But it's really interesting when we read the Gospels just how much Jesus was, uh, was a good Jew. He knew his scriptures. He knew the word of God. He knew the scriptures from the Old Testament. It's just an interesting side note that Jesus the Christ knew the scriptures, trusted the scriptures, and used the scriptures. Um, but here's the question for us then, having heard this temptation number two. Do you ever wonder, or do you ever wonder why God doesn't just show up in whatever circumstance that we're in? Why does God not just show up on the pinnacle of the temple? Why does he not just show up in the public square? Why does he not just show up and present himself that all the people, maybe even ourselves, would know that he's God and he's here and he's for us? especially in the hard times, especially in the difficult times, especially even right now, like we're living through this, this pandemic, which has affected every part of our lives and society worldwide. When we're struggling with fears and struggling to trust, why doesn't God just show up? Do you ever ask that question? Why doesn't God just show up and convince the world, convince us that he is for us, he's here, that he loves us, that he can, uh, he can fix this? Would it not be easier if that happened? Would it not be easier if, for us to believe in him, to trust him, to even love him? I guess there's an instant objection to this kind of spectacle, 
this kind of, let's create a miracle moment, this kind of circus. Uh, I guess our cynicism would probably make us doubt that anyone claiming to be God doing such miracle stunts would be God anyway. We probably would doubt it. There is, that is an objection. But I think it goes further than that. This temptation is about a lot more than that. In his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis offers a really helpful explanation for why God does not simply just show up to human beings in, in, in a spectacle. Screwtape, the senior demon in the novel, in the writing, is speaking and instructing his nephew on how to tempt a man. And he says this about God, and God is known as the enemy in this passage. He says this, you must have often wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any time. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use merely to override a human will as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do. Merely just to override a human will would be for him useless. He cannot ravish, he can only woo. I love that last line sums it up. Speaking of, of a God, God cannot ravish, but he can only woo. As Jesus in this temptation resists the lure of fame, of spectacle, we see in Jesus' actions here the ways that God works are very different to the ways of the world. God doesn't scream to get our attention. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't perform great spectacle to draw, to get, to draw us in immediately, to wow us, to ravish us. The ways that God works is to woo us, to invite us. There is a freedom that God honors as part of the universe, which means that he does not force himself upon people. There's a spiritual dynamic at play. God is available and present, and he desires for us to come to him. And like the psalm we read at the beginning in Psalm 84, to find our home in him, just like the sparrow finds a home uh, and a nest in the, in the courts of the Lord so that we might, and our hearts might find a home in God. But it's not forced. It's always just an invitation. It's never forceful. The Russian author Dostoevsky calls this God's miracle of restraint. Kierkegaard, the famous philosopher, talked about, quote, God's light touch. Even in Psalm 22 this morning, Ryan mentions the eternal ruling in his gentle way, the words of Psalm 22. God would not override our freedom. We will not be convinced in our minds with indisputable and undeniable empirical proof or evidence or fame or as we've discussed, the spectacle of the show-off God God is not a show-off. But in this second temptation, 
Jesus, knowing that the kingdom does not come like that, does not come with force, does not come with circus, does not come with spectacle or fame, but instead Jesus shows us that the ways of God come by the still small voice, inviting us, wooing us, drawing us by his love, by his beauty, by his truth. And he woos us to trust him by faith, knowing in our hearts his love and his presence deep in our hearts and in our souls. This actually means that we live this life and there's always room for doubt. There's always room for doubt because there's room for freedom. But doubt can be healthy and normal and it itself can prove, in fact, that God is gentle and, as Kierkegaard says, God has a light touch and God just invites us into relationship with him. He invites us to make our home in him, but he never forces it upon us. And so we come as authentic beings to the divine and to our, in our God-given human freedom, we come not because we've been ravished, not because we have been impressed, but, but by faith, by faith in God. Jesus came not to turn the kingdom into a factory producing believers or a circus where we would just be impressed by the shallow spectacle, but Jesus came to liberate and he came to liberate so that we could enjoy relationship, like real relationship in the depths of our souls, not shallow spectacle, but in the depths. He did, he did not come to usher in shallow religion, but he came to invite us into deep and real and authentic relationship where we have freedom to come to God, but he invites us. He doesn't force himself on us. He invites us and woos us into a relationship that ebbs and flows where there is a dynamic of interaction and experience, a real relationship with the divine, just like the relationships we have with our, our fellow brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings, our family, our friends. We are invited not to be impressed by the show of God, but we are invited to deep communion with the God who loves us and is for us. Later on in Matthew's gospel, there's, a, there's an interaction again that Jesus has. He's, he's come through the wilderness. He's been beginning his ministry and there's this interaction he has with the religious leaders. Um, it, says, it says this in Matthew 12, then some of the Pharisees and scribes answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, the religious leaders of Jesus' time were looking for the spectacle 
for the miraculous sign that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah, and Jesus was simply not interested. He came through the wilderness trial, his temptations, knowing that this was not the way that God operates or that the kingdom comes, but that the kingdom comes quietly. It comes slowly. It is small, like a mustard seed, like yeast within bread. It's there, yet invisible, yet completely essential to the bread. Like the spirit that indwells us, the kingdom is quiet and slow and small. I think sometimes we are like those religious leaders, the ones that say to Jesus, show us a sign. We want to see a sign. Show up, God. Do we live like that? Do we demand that? Do we think that? Prove yourself, God. Show up. We do love spectacle. And when I say we, I mean the culture that we live in is a, is a culture that is completely captivated by spectacle. The Las Vegas in the soul. The shallow, the immediate, the fleeting, the TikTok video after TikTok video. Not faith reflection, prayer, meditation, worship of God, humility, not truth, but just spectacle, entertain me. Jesus tells the religious leaders only one thing. He says that no, you'll not get a sign, but you'll, there'll be one thing. The Son of Man will be like the prophet Jonah, like in the belly of the wheel three days and three nights. And there Jesus is actually speaking about his resurrection to come. That this will be the way that they know he is who he says he is. This will be the way they know that a new dawn has come, that the resurrection would be that way. But the resurrection would not be a sign. It is, in fact, the inaugural event. It's not a sign it is the event that ushers in the new world. And it's indeed not just something that we look to as a sign, but it is something that we as Jesus followers get to experience ourselves. We get to experience resurrection life. It's not a sign, not a shallow spectacle to prove that God can overcome death. It is the beginning of the project. Resurrection would break forth the new world. That is how the kingdom comes. And God wasn't what the religious leaders and perhaps sometimes isn't what we expect, but indeed God always has much bigger plans. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's plans are so big. Big plans to recalibrate the world in love and in justice and in peace that would be extended to everyone, not just the Jewish people, but beyond those borders to one and all. Maybe the problem with temptation number two and the circus and the spectacle, one of the problems is it's just way too small and shallow a goal. 
the restoration project of God was so much bigger and it did not come through impressive spectacle, but it came through the small, quiet, slow, breaking in kingdom of God that invites us to commune with God, to make God our home, to have real authentic relationship, not just to be impressed by God or served by God. Over the last year, I think life for all of us, it has slowed down, hasn't it? It's been much more stripped back and simple. And in so many ways, perhaps it has made it easier for us to contemplate, to reflect. But that temptation is always still there for us, looking for the next thing, fleeting from one thing to the next to be entertained. Here in this story today, we see the small and the deep ways that God works and how he whispers, how he invites, how he speaks to us in a million different ways every day through creation. He's whispering and inviting us through goodness, through the beauty that we see every day, through art, through kindness and compassion, through medical science, through the gift of engineering, through all the good things that we have, through friends and family and food and drink and sunsets and the fellowship with the Spirit and the saturation within the truth of God and the company of the people of God. These are the ways in which God is revealing himself to us, revealing the goodness of his kingdom. And these are the ways God is inviting us and drawing us and wooing us to come and taste the depths of his presence and power. So what is left for us, I think, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the desert wilderness, is to have hearts that are open and ready. Have hearts that are open and eyes that are open to see the small, beautiful, inviting ways that God invites us to not be looking for spectacle, but to be paying attention to God in, in the everyday and the ordinary and the beautiful. And as I say, whether that's on the mountaintop or even in the wilderness moments, there's an invitation for us to commune again with Christ, with God, and to see him minister to us and fill us up and bring resurrection life. So that's the invitation for us, I think, as we reflect upon temptation number two of Jesus and this story. But in this Lenten season and today on the 20th of February, I think there's another opportunity for us to trust the quiet ways of God, to draw close to him as he invites us, whether that's into the mountaintop experiences or the wilderness experiences, and to give our yes to God again.